0: Now, let's move into this new series that we're starting called Top Ten. I'm really excited about this. Okay, so this is the original list that God gave to Moses, right? You know the story of the Ten Commandments, right? God, God frees the Israelites from captivity. He leads them into the wilderness, and he calls out to Moses on the mountain, and he says, Here, here's my expectations. Like, this is what I want for you. Now, as we start this discussion of the top ten and the ten commandments, let's just start here. We acknowledge by taking communion and, and, and everything we believe about Christ, we know that we are saved by grace and grace alone, right? There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, okay? But also, we understand that we have a good God. We have a God that has given us his instruction, a God that has given us his word. His word has come in the form of Jesus Christ, his son, To not only save us, but also to teach us, right? We have salvation, but we also have, through his word, a, a way of living that brings us more into harmony with God, like more into his will. We live a life that God can work with. That's what we've been talking about in the previous series that we were just in. But when it comes to these Ten Commandments, right, here's the opening question. If we know we're saved by grace and we all know it's God's work and not what we do that saves us, then, then some of us be, might be like, like, why, why are they important? Like, are they still important today? Like, do we still need to follow these particular guidelines? And that, now, having said that and raising that question of what are the ten, do we even need to know it? Some of y'all are like, follow them. I don't even know them. Like, I can't even remember them. So, here's your chance to take a little... Y'all, we're having a pop quiz in church today. Are you ready for this? Okay. Pop quiz. Pull out your message notes. There is a space there for the Ten Commandments. I want to see. I'm going to give you a minute on the screen. We've got a little background music. Let's see how many you can... List, and don't list the whole thing, thou shalt not. No, 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 just put the little words that you think, and you can work together as a team. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's do this. Go ahead, tell them, let's do this, all right? Let's see how many you get right. Here we go, minute on the clock. Let's get after it. How many, and if you've got the app, you don't have the message notes, you may just want to keep track in your mind. How many can you name 45 seconds on the clock. If you're at home, you can play along as well. How many of the Ten Commandments can you get right? All right, we're about halfway there. I can see good conversation happening with everybody. Ooh, y'all are really getting into this. I like it. I think Heather Watley is going to get all ten right. <laughs> yes. All right, let's see. All right, keep going. All right, you got 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Let's bring it to a close. We got to shut this down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Pencils down. Test is over. Let's see how well you did. And, And in order to check your answers, let's go to the original source. Let's go to Exodus 20, and let's read this through together. So... In Exodus 20, this is what it says. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Number one, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol. Number two, of any kind or an image of anything else in the heavens or on the earth or the sea. That's the idol's Number three, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Number four, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, (laughs) I hear some of y'all, oh, Sabbath. Oh, I missed that one. All right, number four. Uh, number five, here we go. Um, honor your father and mother. That's let's, let's, let's all for the teenagers in the room. Let's read this again. Honor your father. No, I'm just teasing. Number five. Number six, you must, not, uh, you must not murder. Number seven, you must not commit adultery. Number eight, you must not steal. Number nine, you must not testify falsely. Give false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, you must not covet. <laughs> <laughs> Afton yelled out. <laughs> Did you get... All right, let's see. How many of you got all 10 right? Did anybody get all 10 right? <gasps> Ooh, <no. gasps> One? We got, oh, we got two winners that got all 10 right. Wow. How many of y'all got at least seven right? You got 70%. Let's see. Oh, that's all right. Hey, 70%, y'all C's get degrees, right? There you go. We're passing. We're passing. How many of y'all would be honest and say, I didn't do so well? Let's see. Yeah, there we go. All right. Yep, yep. Okay. That's okay. Now, now that we have read the list, let me circle back to that earlier question. How relevant are they today? Like, how relevant is this stuff really in the Old Testament? Because, you know, honestly, there's a lot of discussion about this today. There's a lot of discussion going on right now, and even within United Methodist circles, and we'll talk more about that um, in the future, about what's relevant and what holds true in Old Testament, and th- does this ancient document still apply? Because what's in the Old Testament can seem just that. Sometimes it just seems old, it seems outdated, and it was good for them back then, but does it really apply now, I was reading a report this past week when I was getting ready for this new series and I came upon a report from Deseret News and uh, Ugov and they did a um, they did a survey. And they found that they asked people are the Old Testament are the are the um, 10 commandments in the Old Testament are they still relevant today and it was 50-50. 50, 50 of the people said yes, 50% said no. But what they did find that was very interesting is when people said that they were still relevant, what they did was they, they ranked them on which ones were more relevant than the others. So let me ask you this. If you had to rank those 10 commandments, which would you say is the most important? Like if you had to write one down, I think I put that on your message notes. Like if you had to put one down as the most important one... Which one would you put down? And I'm going to see if your answer matches um, what the population said. Okay? Now that you had a chance to think about that, 94% came back with these two. They both ranked 94%. One was murder and the other was stealing. That's what people rank as a top two, murder and stealing. Now, can you guess which ones they rank the least important? Okay? If you had to rank... One as the least important, which one would you say do you think most people would say are the least important to follow today? I'm going to give you the least three, and we'll finish with the the last one. Here's here's number three. Coming in at number three was having no other gods before the Lord God. That makes sense. In our culture today, it seems like we worship. People worship so many different things. Coming in at number two of the least important, is not using God's name in vain, which also, you can see, represents a lot in our society. You can't watch anything today without hearing his name used in vain. And then at the end of the list, at the end of the list, least important is keeping the Sabbath. Now, that's what most people think. When we look at these Ten Commandments, though, are we all wrong in how we view them? Like, what if there's more to this? Like, what if there's something deeper here for us to know? What if these aren't just a bunch of rules and regulations, but actually what they're doing is they're kind of opening us up to a better way of living? And if that's the case, and these are here to help guide us into a better way of life with God, then why don't we care more about them? Why don't we know them? You see, the biggest problem I think people have with the Ten Commandments is that when they hear them, they, they hear a bunch of rules, And nobody likes to follow the rules. In fact, when I read them out loud, suddenly and I walk through the Ten Commandments or we walk through the Beatitudes or something where Jesus is teaching how people should live. A lot of people just hear these rules and regulations and all of a sudden I turn into Charlie Brown's teacher and everybody only hears wah, 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 wah. Right? And the reason is because we don't like being told what to do. And so what we do is we tune these things out. And unfortunately... That's the way a lot of us have been programmed to view this list. But here's what I want to do. I want to give us a, a different way of looking at this. What would happen if we read the Ten Commandments as a kind of a description of what life could really be like? Right. What if we looked at this list and how we live in the world today as this being something that would allow life to be so much better. I mean, think about this for a minute. The first commandment, let's go back to the beginning. The, the first commandment is all about choosing God. Like, like, what if we really chose God and there was no division in our heart that messes things up? Like, what if, what if we were really clear about who he is and how we relate to him and we were fully committed to him? The second one is all about Idols. Like, what would happen if we didn't serve all these other things in life? How much better would our lives be? How much better would the world be if we didn't bow down to these worthless objects that we always put on the throne? What if we stopped looking for this world and these things and these people that we place on thrones in our lives to provide what they cannot give us? How much better would life be? When it comes to honoring the name of God, number three, like how much better would it be if we kept God's name holy? Like when it comes to our speech, what we say, and go beyond just not saying the inappropriate words, but also thinking about what we say before we say it so that our mouths and our minds are, are, are holy. And by holiness, you know, we mean set apart so that who we are and how we live is set apart, that we would keep The sacred, sacred in our lives. When it comes to the Sabbath, honestly, what would it look like for us to take a break? To take a break and just shut it down once in a while. To realize that that we don't have to be in charge of everything in life, right? That that, that we can actually breathe a little bit and we can trust God to handle what God can do so that we can rest like he designed us to do, right? Right? so that we would keep the Sabbath and we would be in worship together on a weekly basis and drawing the strength that comes from that. When it comes to honoring our father and mother, now granted, everybody's had those experiences with family members that lead us into counseling. We know this, right? But now that some of us are Older and we've become parents ourselves, we understand just how flawed adults really are. What if we lived in such a way that we were generous to our parents, to our family members, and we honored the ones who gave us life? Like, how much better would that be? When it comes to shall not not murder, right? Like, like before you write this one off as this command that, you know, that you would never do, I know that I'm not supposed to take somebody's life, like, that's a no-duh, like, obviously I'm not going to do that, Right? There's more to it than that. When Jesus comes into the New Testament, he said, listen, this is about hatred, the hatred that we have in our heart also, right? That that we should push out the impulse to hate anyone, chase away any thoughts that would make us think that this world or this place or my job or my life would be better if you weren't here. How much better would our society be if we followed this teaching and we loved more and we hated less? When it comes to adultery, this is a big one, that we would remain faithful in our covenants, that our families would not be broken by failure, that nothing would come between us and the love that we have for one another, and how we feel for our spouse wouldn't be torn away by lust or, or fantasies or those images or videos that corrupt the internet and ultimately corrupt our lives, right? Think of how much better families would be stealing. That you would never feel the the need to take something that isn't yours. That you would never even want to take it. That you would never have to fear that what God has given to you would ever be taken from you. That somehow we could return back to the 1950s and everybody could leave their car doors unlocked and their house doors open and we wouldn't fear that someone would come and take something that doesn't belong to them. Bearing false witness, not spreading lies, damaging words, which is so easy to do about people. And we just don't always do it face-to-face. We do it online. We do it behind people's backs. But what what, what would it be like to live in complete harmony with everyone? Being friends with your neighbor, the one that's on the other side of the fence, the one that's on the other side of town. The one that has a different political view than me. The last one is coveting. To not be so selfishly motivated in life. I heard somebody once say that This final commandment is like a promise. And here's why. If you live this way, like if you follow God's will, if you follow his instructions, then your life, you would not want to covet anything else from anybody because you would be so deeply rooted in God's goodness that you wouldn't feel the need for anything else. Like how much better would life be? So let me get to the point here. These Ten Commandments. As we we journey into this conversation together over the next few weeks, I think that these Ten Commandments equal one big invitation, an invitation from God to follow him into a better way of life. Ten Commandments, one invitation, God saying, follow me. Will you follow me? God in the Old Testament looking at the Israelites, having them write this down so that everybody else that comes after them would know what this is like. And his invitation to them at that time is follow me. And then Jesus, Jesus comes into the New Testament, right? God in human flesh, right? He finds people and what does he do? What's his invitation? Follow me. It's a way of life. Let me teach you what it's like to live as though God's kingdom is here on this earth, to live a life that God intended. Jesus is like, "Follow me." So, think about this with me. Is it possible that through these 10 commandments, the God is inviting us to receive a more blessed life? I think so. But even still, still most of us tend to view his word as a bunch of uh, rules and regulations. So many people have this warped view when it, when it comes to God. We, we, we picture God as like this sheriff trying to come down on us or like an overbearing parent with their arms crossed, like, like giving us standards that nobody could possibly live up to, right? That's, that, that's how we view God sometimes in our warped minds. And it's hard to get past that idea because what we've seen or what we've heard or what we think the Bible is like. But again, is that the right way to look at it? I wanna show you something just in case you missed it. Let me me show you how God begins the 10 commandments in Exodus 20. He starts with this line. Let's read it again because I think you may have missed it. He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. then, then, he shares the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you something. When God began this, did God begin his relationship with the Israelites by giving them a bunch of rules and regulations? No. Like, Does he begin by, by looking at the Israelites and saying, this is what you do and how you do it and when to do it and you better follow me or else? No, that's not how it begins. It doesn't begin as though God is giving them some type of like unreasonable measure that they have to live up to. No, how it begins is a God who rescued them, a God who came after them, a God who started a covenant with, with Abraham before Abraham had done anything. I am going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and you're going to have a nation, huge and great Many as the sand is on the seashore, right? And then this nation of Israel is formed in Egypt, and they cry out to God, and God answers. And he speaks. And he saves them. And he brings them out of slavery and into life, into a better life. And then much later on, what happens in the New Testament? We know this story. God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, leaves heaven, comes to earth in the form of the Son to die on the cross so that we might be with God forever. Not because of something we've done. Not because we measure up, because we don't. We are steeped in sin, Scripture says. There is nothing we can do that could earn our salvation. And yet... We serve a God that loves us. We serve a God of grace. We serve a God that comes to us. And God is saying, I love you. I've rescued you. And now that I have rescued you, and now that you are with me, I want you to walk with me. As a great theologian, Aerosmith, once said, walk this Way. Just making sure y'all still with me, right? Y'all still with me? Walk this way. God brings his people out of captivity and he says, walk this way, follow me. Jesus comes in the form of God in the flesh and he says, walk this way, follow me. I want to show you and I want to teach you what it means to have a better life. The prophet Micah understood this long after the Israelites have escaped slavery and hundreds of years before Jesus would be born. Micah says this, the Lord has told you what is good. He's told you. He's told you his commands. And this is what he requires of you. He wants you to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk. To walk humbly. To walk humbly with your God. To walk with God. To follow him. That's what he wants for us. You know, it's really interesting. When you break down the Ten Commandments, scholars say that this is a covenant that God is establishing with his people. It's a type of covenant. It's a type of promise. It's the, the, the way that the Ten Commandments are written, it's like it's written in a form of a contract. It's, it's written, when you read Exodus 20, and go back and read it later on this afternoon, you'll see that it's different. Like it's laid out differently. It flows differently than everything else. And it sticks out. It's noticeable. It's kind of like if I were to just to stand up here and read poetry in front of you right now, you would know that it's poetic in nature. If I said, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. Right? Or when I was a five-year-old little boy, I would say, Roses are red, violets are blue, you look like a donkey and you smell like one too. <laughs> Which was funny when you were five years old. And even funny when you're 45 years old, if I can be honest. <laughs> But if I stood up here and I said, roses are red, violets are blue, you would know a poem is coming, right? If I were to stand up here and read someone's mail, you would know it, that'd be weird, but you would know what was coming and the way it was written. If I were to stand up here and read somebody's resume, you would know what it was and how it was written. So same thing applies here. When you go home and you read Exodus 20 and you see the 10 commandments, you'll see that it's written differently. It's written like a suzerain vassal treaty. Everybody's like, what is that? Let me explain that. A suzerain, vassal, treaty. Suzerains were the kings, okay? It's basically between a king and a servant. There's a treaty that's laid out, okay? The the, the suzerains were the kings. The vassals were were the servants. Lowly landowners, right? So the vassals, the servants, may come to the king. They may have a small plot of land, and they want help from the king. So they enter into an agreement with the king. And it could be for many reasons, but most commonly is because the little guy wanted protection that the king offers, right? But the king gets something out of it too. The king gets their land. He gets their land to use for his herds to be able to graze, and so they form this treaty together. It could also be that the king wants to use that servant's land like as a buffer region between another king that maybe he's upset with. So it'd be kind of like this if like Mississippi was upset with the state of Georgia, and I don't know why, but just go with me. If they were upset, and then you know, Alabama and Georgia formed this alliance so that Alabama would be a buffer region. If Mississippi tries anything, Alabama's gonna let us know. And if you see that I'm using this example as Alabama being the servant and Georgia being the king, then you're following me. You're tracking. We're on the side. I can't get through anything without hearing a roll tide when I do that. (laughs) But back to the point. There's an alliance here between a king and a servant. So if Exodus 20 kind of follows this kind of treaty, this outline, we understand that God plays the role of the king, right? The Israelites are the servants. And we understand what the Israelites get out of it. They get out of it. They get out of it God's blessing, His provision, His guidance, His protection. But what does God get out of it? Like, what can God possibly receive from the Israelites? What can God possibly receive from us? God doesn't need anything from us. And the only answer to that is that God receives someone to love, someone to bless. You know, the the way I think about this is like a parent with their child. You know, when you were pregnant and you were wanting to have children, like what did you really expect that you were going to get out of this child, right? I mean, think about it for a minute. Like what's the benefit? And I'll bring this up again because we have so many young families here at the Ridge. We have so many babies being born. I love this. I love that y'all are so committed to growing this church. I love it. Some church, you know, y'all like, forget inviting new members. We're just going to make our own. And I like that. I like that. I like that. That's good. But when you had a kid, like, like, what did you plan to get out of it? And the reason I say this is because before we had kids, I want y'all to know, Shannon and I were cool. Like, we were, I know. You're looking at me and you're probably like, I can believe that about Shannon, but not so much you. But, but listen, we were, we were cool. Like, like we did things. Like, we stayed up late. Like, we would watch Saturday Night Live live (laughs) and not taped on a VCR the next day. Y'all remember VCRs, right, back in the day, right? Oh, we drove cool cars. Like, Shannon had an older Corvette that was so cool. And and then later on, we got this little Honda Civic Coupe that was a stick shift. It was the same kind that they used in Fast and Furious. It It was so cool, right? And then we had kids. And everything changed. And if we were up past 9.30 at night, it was like we got hit with a tranquilizer dart. And it was like, we never slept again. And we never dressed cool again. We dressed comfortable. And we traded in cool cars for minivans. And we're like, what did we expect would happen actually, right? Babies, they're expensive. And they poop. And they cry. And they keep us up. And they do it again. And they do it again. <laughs> And then they do this. This is my little nephew Owen here. And Owen is going to score his goal. And then as soon as he does, he runs over to dad. And he shows him how many goals he scored today. And then he gives his dad a big hug. I love it. Then they go and do that. And they love us. And that's everything. That's everything. Like that's enough right there to have them love us, that we love them. God comes to the Israelites, and he comes to them, and he rescues them, and he leads them out, and he loves them. And he begins to make them into a great nation just like he promised he would. And he tells them, listen, you are my children I am your God. Like, what kind of God do we serve that actually allows us to say that he is our God? Like, he is our father. We are his children. And yet, that's what he wants. That's why he does any of this. And that's why he established his covenant with Abraham so long ago. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to die for your sin. is because he loves you. Just like a baby that's been born, they can't do anything for their parents. But yet, that parent loves them. This is the love that God has for us. So basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to set this series up before we dive into these commandments. And for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few of them each Sunday. And I want us to have a deeper understanding of why it's so important that we understand these. Why, why the Old Testament? Why the Old Covenant? Why the Ten Commandments are still relevant today? Because, because if, we believe, if we believe that God is real, and if we believe that He loves us, if we believe that he sent his son to die for us, if we believe that he wants a better life for us, then we should follow him. Let me ask you that question today. And as we move into this series, what does it mean for you to follow God? Are you following? Can you really say you're following after him? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just do a work in our lives. That you would draw us closer to your presence. God, maybe there are some here today that might admit that they aren't really following. And God, I know we we may not even know all the Ten Commandments, but God, we know. We know when we're not doing what we should. We know when our lives aren't in harmony with what you would want. So God, I just pray that we would speak to you, that we would come to you, that you would forgive us, and that we would would see that your instructions and your commands and that your word that you have given to us, God, is a loving response for us. God, that you know what's best for us that you know how to provide the best life that we could possibly live. So God, God, may we just follow you. God, would you just give us the strength to follow your will in our life. Whatever that may mean for us today, before we even jump into these 10 commandments, God, and we try to break these down and understand why they're still relevant, why they still hold true today. God, I just pray that you would just use this moment just to speak to our hearts and move in us and show us the ways that we need to follow you. God, that you would speak to us and that we would understand what it means for us, individually, not my wife, not my husband, not my kids, but myself, what it means for me right now to walk with you. God, that's what we're after, is to follow you because of your invitation, because of what you want, and God, because you have a better life for us if we would just give you what we have. So, God, we offer ourselves to you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.